So Titus 2, we have looked at the older men, uh, younger, um, older women, younger men, younger women. And there is an expectation of Titus to lead this, elders to help him in chapter 1, to, to be a healthy church in a very ungodly culture. Uh, is going to require a lot of time, a lot of attention, a lot of people involved in ministry, and not just the leaders, but the uh, everyone, all the adults now, older, younger, working together, uh, relating to each other, and trained in how to be godly in their homes. And so we stopped at verse uh, 9, and we have a word bondservant, and with our study uh, maybe six, eight months ago, you can guess what that word means. It's a pretty simple word. It means slave. Okay, so slaves. And he's still going after the home. So the older and younger in the, his practical advice to them in two to six was about being godly and being godly at home. Your godly homes are going to help the godly church to influence the ungodly culture. Okay, and so the the homes is where godliness has to be exercised. It has to be lived out. So you have to have sound doctrine in your home, in your life, lived out in your relationships. <clears throat> and that's how you're going to influence your culture. And so still going after the home where you have husband and wife were mentioned, children, what do you do if you have now we have to think outside of our culture because we don't have slaves in our culture. But if you have in your culture, if you were in the Cretan culture, a lot of homes would have slaves, okay? And so the slaves would be purchased by the home. It could be purchased by your, your parents, and slaves work for you. And as slaves, as you talk to the slaves in your home, you obviously, as a Christian, are going to treat your slaves differently than unbelievers. They're just going to see them as property. But slaves in the Christian worldview, a biblical worldview, they're all made in the image of God. And as the New Testament writers bring out slaves in uh, Ephesians, you'll see them. Uh, Colossians, you'll see them as he mentions slaves and how, to, how a slave needs to live in a home and how masters need to think about slaves in a home. There's an assumption of that this, this, this dynamic is there. So slaves are not property. Okay. And when it comes to uh, how, how we think about all people, uh, how we look back at history, that there are times when people were looked at as property and we can't, we can't uh, allow that in our thinking as Christian worldview. There's, there's that. And then there is this idea today that we're facing in our culture that pets are equal with people. Okay. And so we have pets equal with people where people aren't having children and like we're just going to have pets and pets are going to be our kids. Okay. Well, that is not a Christian worldview because pets are property and pets are just things. As much as the world says pets are people, they are not. Okay. And we should save the preborn babies we should save people with any kinds of physical or mental uh, problems. They, those are people, 
but when it or challenges, but when it comes to pets, pets are in a, a separate category. And as Christians, we have to discern that they are property. Okay. Now, while some cultures look at people as property, and when you have slaves, that's that's how a lot of them, Old Testament, New Testament. So for thousands of years, we have scripture that that encourages godly people to look at all people uh, as made in the image of God. And so while uh, we are told, uh, if you were a slave, like Philemon is the slave owner, which is the next book in our Bible, uh, has got to think about Onesimus as not property, but as a person made in the image of God. And Onesimus gets saved and is supposed to be treated like a brother. And anytime we treat someone like a brother, ah, okay, that's family, that's even with us, okay? And we have to treat all people on the face of the earth as image bearers of God. And those who know Christ as brothers and sisters in Christ. So what happens when slaves in this culture get saved and they're in your home or they're coming to church and they're coming from another home? And sometimes slaves would be coming from an unsaved home and sometimes slaves coming from believers homes like Philemon's home was. OK, so how do slaves influence a culture? Now, if you were to think of someone owning you, and let's imagine you were a slave 160 years ago in our country, 170 years ago, you would be property and you'd hate that idea, okay? Rightfully so. But when you, if you got saved as a slave and the culture said, you are a nothing, you are just property, like a car, like a horse, like a dog, you're nothing. Your opinion doesn't count. And then you come to a church and the church is going to teach you Titus 2, 9 and 10. And you leave that service thinking, I am not property to God or to Christians. And I have value. I have worth. And I am to influence the home that God put me in. And there were slaves that were born slaves. Okay, they, all they know is slavery, and others were sold into slavery. The Romans conquered their city. Their city didn't submit to the Roman authority. The Romans conquered them, and they took the best of those people and took them and sold them on a slave market. And so you have doctors and lawyers today that would have been purchased to train wealthy people's kids in how to read and write and and that's some slaves we know in the Roman culture were highly, highly educated people from another part of the Roman Empire. Okay. So we have those slaves who hate the idea that they're slaves and they're well educated and they get saved. And now they're in this environment and we're told of how they are to live. Verse nine bond servants or slaves are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. In a lying, lazy, evil culture, uh, as slaves get together with other slaves, do you think submission to their own masters <laughs> even comes up? <laughs> Probably not. Uh, getting even, um, escaping, all kinds of other topics come up, but being submissive to your own masters and everything probably isn't high on the conversation. But as soon as a slave gets saved, now they're starting to talk to other born again slaves and they're talking about how to be submissive to your master when he or she is very mean continuing in verse nine 
they are, this is still the slaves, are to be well-pleasing, I'm assuming here to their masters, not argumentative. Now, if a wealthy merchant buys you and you are well-educated and your merchant owner is not as well-educated as you are, you could win arguments because you're more educated. All right. And uh, obviously, just the, the fact of, of slaves puts you in a disadvantage to your master. Uh, and there are times that you really want to put him or her in, in their place. But being not argumentative is the way we show submission in any relationship, right? And so slaves being submissive to your masters in everything and then not uh, being pleasing to them um, and then not uh, argumentative, this is going to help the atmosphere of the homes. So even if a slave is in an unsaved home, he can influence that home as an image bearer. And so pets, as we see today, are not image bearers. They can't influence homes like people can. Only people, even the lowest people in society, like a slave, can influence a home. So if you are a slave and look down upon and discouraged as I'm never going to get out of slavery, I'm always going to be seen as a second-rate person, if even a person at all, I'm going to look at it as property, and they come to church on the island of Crete, and they hear that they are to reflect the character of God because they're believers now. They have a mission in life that's different than, I just got to get through the day. Now I've got direction and a mission that because I'm a child of God, I'm to be well-pleasing to my master and to be submissive. This is how godly slaves are to live. Not argumentative. You see that in verse 9, verse 10, not pilfering. Someone have another translation? You probably know what the word pilfer means. Stealing, right. So if you were to, if you were a slave not owning anything and your wealthy master says, hey, watch my gold. Okay. If you're going to go out into the marketplace and take some of your master's gold and spend it on yourself and get some something nice and then hide it in your in your cabin or wherever you stay in your room. Uh, this would be using your master's money for yourself and that would be stealing. And obviously it happened. It does, do people today steal from employers? Of course they do. It's just a matter of how much <laughs> and how, if they can get caught with security cameras and everything. So employers, they expect their employees to steal from them, but it shouldn't be so with Christians. We should not be stealing and arguing and um, with our employers, uh, even if they're not, <laughs> they're not great, um, we shouldn't be stealing. It doesn't give us the right to take what is theirs. But showing, verse 10, all good faith, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. Adorn the doctrine of God. Another place that says we are to be clothed with humility. Now, the purpose of clothing today is to cover um, to cover our bodies from shame. And obviously, uh, cultures um, want to cover different body parts, and some cultures want to cover every single square inch except for eyes, uh, and that, that's fine. Uh, in in the, 
in the search for modesty. Um, but when it comes to clothing, clothing is something that everyone sees. We can look around, and if we're not colorblind, we can say, huh, that's a nice pink shirt you got. That's a nice blue shirt. That's a nice green shirt. Green, yeah. Um, <laughs> Red Sox fan, huh? And so, uh, home of the brave. Uh, someone is very patriotic, and uh, I, we know that from what, what Jenny wears, right? So, so adornment is what people can see. Uh, it is obvious to everyone, whatever we wear, we, we either want to identify with the team or not. We want to wear something, we're modest or we're not. Um, so adornment is something that this is, this is what everyone can see. Okay. And when I think it's in first Tim Peter that, uh, Paul says to, I think it's the elders to be clothed with humility, that the leadership in a church should be known for obvious what you're wearing is humility. Okay. Here it is slaves in how they live in their home, influencing their masters, even they can influence their masters by how they are godly and submissive and not argumentative and not stealing. And they have, because they're image bearers, and now they're redeemed image bearers of God, despite their social status, which is super low, right? No one's below the slave. It doesn't matter. They can show all good faith. So showing all good faith is an ongoing showing good faith. We've heard of faith in this list. Look at back in verse two. The older men are to be sound or healthy in faith. So if you are a slave thinking I've got no life, I've got no future, and then you get saved. And now what is your hope? Your hope is not in this life. You tell a slave who owns nothing and is treated like property, you are to have a home in heaven. You, you do have a home in heaven. You're seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus because God made you alive. Ephesians 1. And you're like, whoa, I'm a child of the king of kings. You are. And you're going to inherit heaven because Christ is your savior. You've been forgiven. Now go back to your home, slave, and live this way. Titus 2.9, and then Titus 2.10, showing all good faith. Your master may treat you poorly, and you don't respond in kind to him. You don't hate him. You love him. You pray for him. He's your enemy, maybe, and you don't despise him. You treat him well. There's an example of a slave in the Old Testament. We don't even know her name, but likely because of her faith, her master, Naaman, came to know God and she could have despised Naaman and thought I'm glad you have leprosy I hope you die instead she says if you will go to Israel there is a prophet there who knows God and he can heal you and she showed good faith even though Ahab didn't have faith I can't heal this guy and what is he doing coming here and uh, there's so much, uh, so so much faith in in the faith in Second Kings five is servants and slaves faith, and uh, kings don't have faith, and Naaman doesn't have faith at first as the commander of an army, and yet he has to have faith in God alone, and then he gets healed, and then he wants to take uh, earth 
to go build an altar and it's it's fascinating story but a slave there influenced a family uh, and as an example of this so showing all good faith and when the slave in a home shows good faith so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior, teaching about God. And if you were a horrible slave and you got saved and you were once a liar, violent and lazy, because this is part of your culture, you're doing the minimum to get by. You were not well-pleasing to your master. You argued about everything. You didn't submit to anything. You stole as much as you could. And then you got saved. And then you have older and younger godly men in the church as you come and gather with God's people. And they're teaching you this. Titus is teaching you this. And then you, you stop stealing. You stop arguing. You stop being uh, insubordinate and rebellious against your master. You start showing this kind of lifestyle. And your master says, what happened to you? You have a platform on which to stand to magnify the grace of God. To say, you know what? I used to be like the culture, like all the other slaves that you have or like that you know to be in our culture on the island of Crete. But God saved me. And I'm trusting him and I'm, and he has told me that I am to be submissive to you in everything. And a slave may memorize verses nine and 10 and this be their life verses. And this is what God has specifically told me to do through the apostle, through my pastors, through godly people in my church. And now I'm doing my best master to be submissive to you and everything to and i want you to see god my savior would you consider coming and um and and <laughs> coming to church reading uh uh this letter that uh this apostle wrote to to our to our church um would you sit down with a godly older man and he'll uh, he'll tell you more about the change that's happened to me and about other people and so how, how we live is godly, even if you're in this low, lowest status of slave, you can still influence uh, your home. And you should. You can influence other slaves, at least, and uh, be an example uh, to them. And even if your master is ungodly, you're showing him by your lifestyle. Adorning means to make attractive. We put on, if you um, ladies were going out on a date to impress a young man, think years ago, you would think about what you wore. You think, what is my best? What, <laughs> what outfit makes me most attractive? Okay, that's how we think. Uh, if we're coming to um, a ceremony, um, if um, you're coming to your wedding, I remember getting ready for my wedding, and this is the only time in my life that I can remember I borrowed, I rented a tux. <laughs> and I wore a tux at my wedding. It's in my pictures. You know why? Because I wanted to be attractive to my wife. Um, right? So, and being, uh, adorning ourselves for the purpose. So look at the end of verse 10. We are to, so that in everything we may, 
adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. This isn't a one-time thing to impress one person once. This is in everything. Notice the alls here. In everything, they are to be submissive. They are to be showing in all good faith. And then in everything, they may adorn the doctrine of God. So the slave leaves the church, knows Christ, knows God as Savior, and he knows his mission. In everything, I have to make the doctrine of God my Savior attractive. That God saved me from my sin. And that God's grace has is changed me. It gave me a home in heaven. I have hope. And I want everyone around me uh, to know God, my Savior. This is how we live. And even the if the lowest of people in society live this way, surely everyone above them can live this way too. Right, And we all can influence our homes and our culture if we will learn what he says to, to servants and slaves. Um, how can we live this out in our lives? You don't have people owning you, but there is submission in Ephesians 2, 5, 21. We're to submit to one another out of fear of Christ. Everyone submitting to everyone because this is when the Holy Spirit controls us in Ephesians 5, 18, that we speak to one another psalms and hymns and spiritual psalms. The spirit controls our life. And as he controls our life, we're submissive to other people out of fear of Christ. And this is how we can adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior.